0: You're listening to Policy Room by SPRF. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Policy Room by SPRF. The partial National Family Health Survey data, the NFHS data, has been released recently and it is alarming. In most states, childhood stunting, wasting, and incidence of anemia has worsened. Prevalence of diarrheal diseases has also increased in about half of the states. Now, in the budget speech last week, it was stated that the outlay for health and well-being has been increased by 137%. However, this claim has been questioned. Today, in our conversation with Dr. Deepa Sinha, we will get to the center of this debate around nutrition and food security in the light of this NFHS data and Budget 21. Dr. Sinha is an assistant professor at the School of Liberal Studies, Ambedkar University, Delhi. Before joining AOD, she worked with the Office of Commissioners to the Supreme Court with the Public Health Research Network and was the chairperson of the governing board of Center for Equity Studies. She's also actively involved with the Right to Food campaign. Welcome, ma'am, we are excited to have you here.
1: Thank you, Akshita.
0: All right, so uh, diving into our first question. So despite government of India's flagship portion of and the national nutrition mission, which is in place to fight malnutrition and improve health outcomes, Why do you think health indicators have stagnated or worsened? And can we expect similar outcomes for other states too, like states like Chharkhand, for which data will be released in phase two of the NFHS survey?
1: Okay, uh, so when we look at this malnutrition data from the NFHS, we have to also uh, carefully interpret it in terms of what is working and what is not working. Uh, What we know so far is that in most states for which the data has been released, the malnutrition data shows that malnutrition is either uh, measured in terms of stunting, is either stagnant or worsened. And this in itself is a cause for worry because we know that historically across the globe, uh, nowhere does malnutrition stunting worsen unless there is like acute, there's a famine or there is war or something. So that is a warning bell. But beyond that, to say what is it that worked and what did not uh, is difficult because malnutrition itself is a multi uh, dimensional issue, which has a number of uh, factors affecting it, right from your household food security, uh, access to health care, access to water sanitation, uh, and so on. Because of which, you also see these kind of puzzling uh, data in NFHS 5, where, for instance, a state like Bihar is actually showing an improvement in stunting. Whereas uh, states like Kerala, Tamil Nadu, uh, Tamil Nadu data, not there, Kerala, Telangana and so on, are showing the stagnation. Uh, therefore, I think finally, what happens to the final average figure is uh, based on the balance of factors. I'm giving you this whole uh, introduction to also say that what exactly will happen in a state like Jharkhand is difficult to say, but what we can be sure of is that given that the second phase of states have been surveyed after the lockdown, when the situation has been even worse, that the overall national average in stunting that we'll see from NFHS-5 will definitely not show great improvements from uh, NFHS-4. And since we don't have the unit and detailed data from NFHS-5, you can't say it for sure, but triangulating based on everything else we know, what we can say that although some things improved like water sanitation, uh, and certain uh, health services, the overall household food security has worsened in this period after 2016, which is to do more with uh, broader macroeconomic uh, trends that have been seen, like uh, real wages being stagnating, growth rates uh, declining, uh, unemployment increasing. These have had an effect on household uh, food security. Along with this, in these three, four years, we also find that the um, Government programs like the ICDS, midday meal, PDS, and so on—they uh, have not been strengthened. In fact, they have been weakened because the budgetary allocations to these programs uh, have been quite meagre. One final point, because you mentioned portion abhiyan in your question, uh, although there was portion abhiyan, unfortunately, it's been a lot of noise and very little action on the ground. If you look at the budget, uh, what it was spent on, the money spent on abhiyan. first of all, a very small proportion of the funds allocated have been spent. And the spending has largely been on uh, the uh, software, the digital, digitizing Anganwadi records, which is important, but would not show an immediate impact on malnutrition. And the other has been on publicity and IEC kind of stuff, uh, which do, obviously are not enough, given the situation of uh, food insecurity. So just to conclude for this question, I think it's a warning bell, considering that the survey was done pre-lockdown, so we can be quite sure that the data post-lockdown when that is included, uh, there is some bad news that we can expect. And why that is happening is to do, in my opinion, uh, is a combination of economic slowdown, which has affected uh, the informal sector workers uh, badly, uh, along with these social protection programs being uh, not given adequate support.
0: All right. So as you mentioned, there are a number of factors uh, which can be behind uh, these numbers that, are, that we are seeing for health outcomes. So uh, how responsible do you think then the food security and the public distribution system in India is for um, driving these uh, health outcomes, these bad health outcomes? And can universalizing PDS be a potential solution here?
1: So PDS, I think, is a very important program in ensuring basic household food security. Um, So it's kind of the base on which we build a number of other things. Uh, PDS is very important uh, because also if for many households, if there was no PDS, then you would not even have the basic cereals, which keeps a family. Sometimes uh, it is the uh, gap between starvation and having something to eat. Uh, But at the same time, only PDS is obviously not enough, Uh, uh, mainly because of two things. One, there are a large number of households which are excluded from PDS still. Currently, about 60% of households in India, 60% of the population in India is part of the PDS. But there are errors in uh, targeting and so on, which excludes like, for instance, we saw in the case of migrant workers during the lockdown, uh, where many did not have ration cards and were not uh, included as part of the system. The second problem also is that the PDS is heavily cereal focused. So it does not include items such as dal and oil and so on. And if you look at Indian uh, diets on an average are quite uh, cereal heavy, which is not good enough for improving nutrition outcomes. And we have data um, recently, there was a paper uh, by uh, some uh, people from IFPRI, which show that most uh, informal sector workers, given the current prices, actually cannot afford Uh, a balanced nutritious uh, meal in India. So the PDS could play a role in nutrition security if it is first universalized. And two, along with rice and wheat, it actually includes millets and dal and oil and so on.
0: All right. So, um, given these challenges that um, India is facing right now, do you think that the economic survey stating that healthcare has now taken the centre stage is a bit ironic if we look at the budget allocations, like you mentioned before, and the budget speech stated a one thirty seven percent increase in outlay for health and well being. But are the health allocations what they seem to be given that the national health policy 2017 had suggested an increase in the public health spending from 1% of GDP to about 2.5 to 3% of GDP?
1: Right. This is again a very important question and something that we need to understand. Uh, When the economic survey says healthcare takes center stage finally, uh, yes, it has taken center stage in the sense that in the... In most people's mind in our country now, healthcare is center stage, given the experience of the COVID and the uh, pandemic and the difficulty in accessing healthcare in this uh, situation. But like you say, it is ironic that uh, despite this pandemic and the huge chaos that it has caused and exposed the limitations in the public health system in India, uh, the budgets for healthcare uh, still continue to be as low as they always were. Um, even uh, before the COVID, India has been one of the least spenders when you look at it as a proportion of what the government spends on health uh, as a proportion of GDP. And the national health policy uh, says that by 2025, we will reach 2.5% of GDP. Uh, we are in 2021. And since the last four years since this policy was brought about, we have not seen any increase in uh, health budget. Health. Uh, Spending is both by the central and state government, where about two-thirds is spent by state governments and one-third by central government. So the estimate by the Finance Commission is that the central government's contribution uh, to health should have at least doubled as a proportion of GDP by this year. So it should have become at least 0.68% of GDP, whereas this year's budget is only 0.35. In that context, this big announcement of a 137% increase in outlay of for health and well-being feels a little bit like a cheating because uh, it gave a ray of hope in the speech where a new scheme was announced uh, as well as this announcement was made that the healthcare health budget has been more than doubled. But when you go and look into the details which are given in an annexure to the speech, you find that what has been shown as an increase in health uh, spending includes a huge component which is not traditionally counted as health spending. So it cannot be towards that 2.5% of GDP, which is towards water and sanitation. And it also includes 35,000 crores for the COVID vaccine, which as we know is a one-time expenditure and will not go into strengthening the health system. And given how low uh, the health budgets are, and the economic survey actually makes quite a good case for why it should be increased, uh, it says that if it is around 3%, that's when our, the burden of out-of-pocket spending in the country can come down to 30%, which is now over 60, 64%. Uh, but yeah, the, the budget has been a disappointment on this count.
0: Okay, so ma'am, uh, can you tell us why something like this would happen, like, why is the government not willing to spend on health, given that we have seen a pandemic now and we've seen how much it, uh, how much it augmented the health issues that already our country was facing. So why do you think that the government would be sort of reluctant to increase allocations to health?
1: So for why it is happening, I think we can think of uh, broadly two reasons. Firstly, it's not the case that the government does not recognize the importance of increasing health spending because it is repeating uh, it in every document that the government itself brings about, be it the National Health Accounts, be it the Finance Commission, be it the Economic Survey, be it the National Health Policy. Everywhere, the government itself is giving us data about how India is doing very, very poorly as far as health financing is concerned, and that we must increase it to 2.5 very soon and eventually to 3% of GDP. But why is it still not doing it? I think the first reason why it's not doing it is the larger macroeconomic question where... Uh, the government despite the pandemic and despite governments across the world now not really bothering about the fiscal deficit targets and understanding that this is a time that you have to spend without thinking so much is still very concerned about how uh, liberal it can be as far as the fiscal deficit goes and therefore there is a tightening of purse strings despite the situation Uh, that that even in this year's budget, the finance minister also mentions that fiscal consolidation is still on the agenda, it will happen very soon. Uh, I think that's a concern which is uh, not so valid, definitely not in the uh, current year and the current circumstances that we are in. The second reason I think, so then once you know that you have only this limited fiscal space, then it's about priorities and what gets greater priority. And there it's very clear uh, and it's also linked to the first issue of the concern of fiscal deficit that the first priority is to keep the markets uh, happy. I mean, after the budget, the stock market uh, has only risen. It is to keep uh, big capital uh, happy uh, and not, and therefore, there, whatever little spending has increased has been like we see in, in infrastructure and capital expenditure, which is also important in the current uh, circumstances. But if we had in mind, uh, which would actually generate large-scale employment and also improve the lives of the poor, then actually the priority, I think, would have been more on things like the PDS, like healthcare, like um, the midday meals, the ICDS, the National Rural Employment Guarantee Act, and so on. But with rising inequality, I think uh, it's becoming clear uh, who are on uh, greater priority, and it is that class... Uh, to keep them happy, you cannot increase your fiscal deficit too much. And at the same time, uh, whatever little you spend, you spend on improving their business environment more. I think we have to understand the political economy of this.
0: Okay. Okay. So now that you've talked about priorities, so looking at the budget, what do you think have been the top priorities of the government? So it definitely, we can see that there has been a big infrastructure push that is going to create employment and income in the economy. But then what potential does this hold if we talk about food security and health outcomes? Because it's not like this is a direct expenditure into health and say PDS, but it's, it's into infrastructure. So do you think that that route is going to help us out with the health and food security outcomes?
1: I think it's a little worrying and it is, uh, like I said, in denial of what the ground situation is. So the capital expenditure insofar as whatever multiplier effect it has would help if it increases overall incomes and employment. And one is doubtful how much of that will happen uh, because uh, we are seeing that many of these things are becoming more and more capital intensive but not creating very much employment. At the same time, uh, the concern is even more enhanced because if you look at the budget, Uh, like we have just spoken, the budget for health has not increased at all. If you look at the budget for services, it has actually gone down. If you look at the budget for midday meals, it's gone down in real terms. Budget for maternity entitlements has gone down. Budget for education in nominal terms has reduced by some 6,000 crores in a year where we know that dropouts have increased, quality of education has suffered and therefore needs an extra push. So a number of things which are directly and indirectly linked to the food security and health situation of people. uh, We see that there is no direct investment in these areas at all. In fact, there is a reduction which will make that support social protection uh, network weaker. At the same time, the economic strategy for revival also is not a one uh, which is uh, focused on employment generation. And therefore, there's not so much hope that unemployment will reduce very much in the next one year. So uh, for me, it's a very worrying situation.
0: All right. All right. So um, given the shortcomings of the health budget, like we've discussed right now, how will this year look like? And um, can we hope against hope that as a nation, we'll be able to reverse these adverse outcomes soon because now the budget is out and we know that uh, health and food security haven't got as much budget allocations. In fact, they have fallen. So what needs to happen if if we cannot expect that something good is going to come out of the budget for health? So what what can we expect for, say, 2020 2021?
1: So this... Um... Forecasting the future, of course, is always difficult. Given what we know now and given that we know that there was a huge disruption in health services over the last year, there is a danger that we will see an increase in prevalence of other kinds of diseases. For example, already there is some modeling which is telling us that tuberculosis will actually go up uh, because the TB program was entirely uh, shut during the lockdown and is slowly recovering. Similarly, we've talked about malnutrition. We know that malnutrition has long-term effects. Uh, many people for non-COVID conditions have not accessed healthcare. So there will be a rush of uh, such people on the system. And therefore, the, actually, this is a time when the we can't just say that, okay, COVID is over and therefore there's no pressure on the health system. In fact, I think there is a continuing pressure that will be there, which will also be because of the spillover effect of this one year of many health services being disrupted having said that, I don't want to say that there is no hope. Uh, What do I hope will happen? I hope, uh, of of course, although there's not a great precedence of this happening, but I still hope uh, that there will be pressure in the parliament uh, from MPs saying that this is creating a lot of destruction in their local areas and that these programs need to be strengthened. If they really speak for the people, they would do that. From the 15th of uh, February, the budget is going to be uh, discussed in the parliament. And I do hope that a large number of MPs both from the ruling party as well as the opposition will raise these questions and raise the voice of people. At the same time, I also hope that state governments which are closer to people will uh, give a greater priority to to these sectors. Although it is more difficult for state governments because their fiscal space is much narrower, but even within the space that they have, uh, I do have, have some hope that they, because they do know much more that they have a year closer to the ground, on what the situation is that at least within their limited space that they will do the best they can uh, on these things. And so that it doesn't become too bad. That would be my hope.
0: Okay. Okay. There's uh, not all is lost then. Okay. So I think that's, that's the end of the questions that I had for you. So thank you so much, ma'am. And this um, podcast has been extremely insightful in bringing to light some of the grim realities that a country faces each day and something that public policy needs to actively address. So is there anything else that you would want to add to conclude our discussion or shed some light on something that we didn't talk about?
1: Nothing really to add on the issue, but just to say to uh, you and whoever listens to the podcast that... Relating this to your last question on hope that uh, in a democracy, which we are, uh, public action matters a lot. And so all of us who are not even directly affected by these things, being aware and speaking about them does make a difference. Uh, So to read about these things and uh, raise one's voices in whatever spaces that we are uh, would be an appeal uh, for the children of this country who are our future.
0: Thank you so much, ma'am. That was a very good conclusion, I'll say. And I completely agree with you. So um, thank you for your time, ma'am. We at SPRF truly value it. And we hope that we can have more such valuable conversations with you in the future. And thank you again for taking out the time. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Policy Room, produced by the Social and Political Research Foundation. SPRF is a youth-oriented public policy think tank based in New Delhi working to spark dialogues for a better democracy. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.